Yep. Give me a nod yeah, when you're ready. Shooter's ready. Stand by. Everyone and welcome to the 3G IQ podcast. I'm Matt Gunlock. I'm joined here today with my co-host Frank Gao, and today we're going to talk about something a bit different. Um, kind of background on the discussion. We're going to be talking basically, you know, from a Marine Corps perspective, from a military perspective. How can you essentially get better? You know, obviously not everybody can be on a shooting team and get get the type of training that we do on the team um, on their own. But what can you do yourself uh, as a unit, as an individual? What can you do to make yourself better? Um, this, this conversation kind of stemmed from a conversation I had last week with a friend of mine um, who's in 1st Battalion, 2nd Marines, and he was asking me these same questions. So I figured you know, talk to Frank. I was like, hey, why don't we kind of make an episode about this? Uh, After that conversation, we're going to kind of start talking about some training that Frank just went to. Uh, He went to Ben Steger class down in North Carolina, and he learned a uh, a lot about himself and what he can improve on. And he's going to kind of bring out and describe those those flaws in his performance and what he has to do was told to him and how he can make those improvements. So, uh, Frank, uh, I guess let's kick this off. So, um, you know, basically what do you think? Yeah. Um, so thinking through some of our previous episodes, um, specifically Austin Hill, Shane Butler, both of which are, you know, bullseye rifle guys, but any other shooter we've ever had, the common thread is dry fire, right? And we have to be very specific about what we mean by dry fire because, um, funny story, actually, uh, when I told Dan Horcharik that my idea uh, for dry fire uh, for the two MIG shooting team, um, that we're going to do it like two times a week, he just thought we were going to be staring at barrels. He didn't realize that we're going to be moving around with a gun and all kinds of stuff, like getting the gun ready when entering positions. He had no concept and most Marines don't. Um, So dry fire is good for several reasons, right? Um, Weapons familiarity, like the fact that weapons are only being drawn when Marines go on field ops or go qualify, or just whenever they need to clean them, it isn't quite enough. Um, my We were drawing weapons two to three times a week prior to the MIG-MIG. And by the time that we competed, uh, Cardenas and Nelson was like, hey, your guys are like visibly steps ahead of everybody else. And we did two life 
fire training sessions, but most of it was dry fire. Um, anything to add there, Matt? Yeah, so you kind of added to what I wanted to say, um, and you guys pulled your weapons out, you know, two to three times a week. And here's my philosophy. And, you know, looking back, hindsight's always going to kick you in the ass. Um, you know, I wish I it's a common thread among a lot of people on the team, but I wish I had known what I know now back then, uh, because I would be worlds ahead and a lot better uh, in my job than what I was then. And so if you're a platoon sergeant, a company gunny, you know, force your guys to go down to the armory every single day, you know, have them pull their weapons um, and the reason being is when we're in country, when you're, you know, yeah, we're not necessarily in a wartime environment now, but when we were in Iraq and Afghanistan, guys carried their weapons with them on a daily basis because they had to. So we, you need to create that same type of environment for them back in a garrison environment, because it's just going to increase their familiarity with those weapons. And you can't just have a you know, hey, just go practice mag reloads, hey, practice pressing the trigger, this and that. No, you have to come out with a very specific uh, training plan for them, much like you would whenever you're on a range. You, you have to do the same thing with the dry fire. You have to come up with some kind of uh, skills and drills practice. That way they become more familiar with the type of speed that they need to in order to increase their skills and abilities. Yeah, another good thing I'll say for dry fire is that when, when in the Marine Corps we are on a live fire line and everyone's firing, it is the worst time to try to give someone coaching because they, they're getting tunnel vision into their sights. They are dealing with the kinetic feedback of the weapon, the audible feedback. It's loud. There's a lot going on around you. You're worried about brass raining down the back of your neck. In dry fire, none of that's happening. And you can pull like you, you don't have to be worried about safety because there's no light ammo. You can stand back and if you see something wrong with someone's body mechanics or tendencies, because a lot of us training scars, uh, just the way that Marine Corps uh, entry-level training has taught us to deal with our weapons has instilled a lot of training scars, something that as competitors, we're learning to like train out of ourselves. Um, you can correct it on the spot and you can demonstrate for people too. That's not something like think about the coaches on the line during ARQ. They don't have that luxury. They can't be like, hey, give me your weapon. Let me show you how this is done. Okay, now you do it. They can't have like the one-on-one -on -one conversation, partly because there's only so many of them, but partly because they also got to get you through. So, and, you know, for those of you wondering, well, how, where do we find like these, these drills? Where do we, where, where do we look to in order to, you know, get better at this stuff? One, there's the internet, you know, Google goes a long way. Um, but two, uh, benstoger.com, you know, if you go to their books and uh, DVD section, go straight to the book section and, they have a skills and drill book. They have a practical pistol. They have, uh, you know, dry fire reloaded. They have uh, match mentality. 
you know, breakthrough marksmanship. They have these books that's going to teach you a little bit more about yourself and how you can improve yourself and set you up on specific drills from very basic drills to very advanced drills that is going to cause you to uh, drive your gun at a faster speed than what you're used to doing. Um, so that's where I would start. And it's a very cheap way to start training. You're going to spend 20 bucks on a book in order to get yourself better. Yeah. Um, ben Steger is a great, uh, I, I have all his books at this point. Uh, Steve Anderson is another guy who's like, he's known as the dry fire guy is he has a podcast. So does Ben Steger. Um, you can listen to those. You can buy Steve Anderson's book. And there's a lot of guys who specialize in rifle training, pistol training. YouTube is like, there's a lot of YouTubes, YouTubers out there. Uh, honestly, if you're starting out, any of the reputable names would be good to start with. Um, it's like, you know, Grand Thumb's really popular YouTuber at the end of everything he says, hey, make sure you're training. Like make, make sure you're actually getting out there and doing this stuff. Because for all the cool guns and equipment that he deals with, um, his major thing is like, make sure that you have proficiency with those things. Um, so it's really easy. And I learned this during the uh, stator class that I just took to dry fire the wrong way. Now, getting out there and getting at it is better than having your gun just sit in the armory and, you know, um, collect CLP and rust, but having, um, having a plan and having like scenarios, um, for example, like the two MIG shooting team, there were a bunch of like quad cons around where a dry fire area was. So I just use those as vision barriers, right? Like I was telling my shooters at this point, your gun needs to be up and I want you to look at this spot in the wall. And as soon as you break it, that's going to, it's going to be quicker to get on target. And I was able to instill on them like, hey, it's this isn't about shooting faster. It's about shooting sooner. It's about preparing your body to support the weapon to take the shot sooner, which makes you more lethal, makes you more likely to win in a firefight. Um, so there's likely a lot of things that you can utilize. Um, Matt, you and I talked about, you know, barricades, shooting off rooftops, shooting from elevation, um, adapting to how things look in like the tree line. There's a lot of different dimensions to marksmanship that come out in tactical scenarios. And honestly, if you're somewhere like Lejeune or Pendleton, you can probably get a lot of you can probably get a lot of good reps just getting out there. And you know what I have to add to that is you know talking about barricades, rooftops, elevation, trees. You can you can mount your rifle onto the side of a tree because it's going to increase your stability. You know, you can put your magazine on the deck. You can use a wall for stability. There's so many different things. And, and the point of training with those different aids, it's yes, it's to get better at shooting off those platforms, but it's to create the muscle memory It's to create that aha moment. So whenever you are in an actual situation, whether it's competition or you are getting shot at, and you see something that's familiar, you can just go right to that object and you can shoot off of it 
already knowing exactly how you need to mount it. It's the exact type of pressure and, you know, the exact pressure with that trigger press. Um, it's just to create that repetition to where everything becomes subconscious because you want to be able to dry fire. You want to be able to live fire to where the shooting becomes subconscious. Um, if it's not subconscious when you're doing it live, well, then you need to train more. One thing I often tell people is whenever I'm out there shooting, if I'm actually thinking about what I'm doing from the marksmanship standpoint, then I haven't trained enough. I need to just be able to go out there. And the only thing I should be thinking about is where I'm moving to next, because that's the thing I haven't rehearsed a million freaking times. Those, that feeling's the worst. Um, it's like being on a waking nightmare. Mm -hmm. you know? No, you're right. Um, like I, I'll draw a, uh, an example. So last year, whenever I was at, uh, Fort Benning multi-gun, they had some pretty far targets. I want to say they were like 40, 50 yard, uh, 12 inch plates that you had to shoot with pistol. And those aren't easy targets. And I hadn't shot a target that size in quite a while, but the, you know, in that instance, that is the only time I thought about what I was that's the only time I thought about my trigger press after that, everything just became instinctual all over again. And it's, so that's okay. Because those are hard shots. When are you taking the hard shots? It's okay to be thinking about it, but whenever it's stuff that's close up and, and, and near you, you shouldn't be thinking, you shouldn't be reacting. You should just be on autopilot. Um. Yeah, so a lot of great things you can get from dry fire. Some things you need to consider. You don't necessarily have to go out and get shot timer. Those are expensive, but introduce introduce times, par times into, I would say, if you're looking at starting something, uh, take one of your, just, just take an average shooter out of your group, have them run the same thing about three to five times, and then take the average of those times and then as the group continually gets better, you set PRs and you set uh, you, you set you set like a group part time for everybody. Um, the stress of trying to make a time is going to force people to make mistakes. And that's the point of dry fire. If you're sitting there the entire time and the way the Marine Corps does it is I think all wrong because we've been taught to look in this, look down the sights, get a perfect sight picture, tell ourselves that we're shooting the shit out of that barrel, right? Um, when in reality, and it's something that uh, Stager said in his class, if you feel good after a dry fire session, you're not doing it right. Because you're not pushing, you're not pushing the limits of what you're capable of. You're not pushing beyond your capabilities. You're not learning from, from, from those errors that you're making in either your vision or your, or your uh, physical faculties. Um, so quantitative metrics are important, but also, Dry fire should not be the end of it. Dry fire isn't the end in of itself, right? The end is better marksmanship, lethality. So it needs to be quantified in actual live fire, right? So I, I'm working up towards nationals right now. I try to dry fire at least 15 minutes every single day, except on the days I'm shooting a match, traveling, something else, right? Um, but I also make sure to couple that with actual live fire 
because you want to go out there and you want to confirm that the things you're working on dry, in dry fire are actually leading to more uh, tangible improvements in your live fire. And I understand that it's 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 tough to do that in the Marine Corps. Uh, I, I would know I put up I, I put up three ranges during my time as a company commander. Um, it definitely wasn't making me look better on my fit rep. It was just something I cared about, but those were probably some of the more um, gratifying projects that I did during that time. But yeah, dry fire and live fire, those go hand in hand. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll put it like this. So yeah, I, I've fired a lot. I've shot a lot of rounds. Um, November of last year, you know, I shot Fort Benning multi-gun. Um, roll forward one month exactly. I hadn't touched my gun uh, at all. Um, I was sitting through steps and taps, you know, being bored out of my mind. So I had my rifle and pistol sat on my bed as I'm going through these virtual classes that really, you know, sure there's some good information in there, but uh, that's another subject for another day on how the DOD can improve, you know, getting Marines and getting, you know, military personnel out of the military. But I had my guns right there. And I knew I had a, a match coming up that weekend. So during the breaks, or since I didn't have my camera on, I would just listen to what was being said, and I would just dry fire. And whenever I went to the match that weekend, you know, that was the con that that match was more or less my confirmation on everything I had done that week. And I went out there and I won the match and I hadn't shot live in a month, but it just goes to show if you have a good program where you are dry firing and you confirm it, uh, you're going to be worlds ahead. And the best part about it, people, you know, the, let's let's be real in the military budget. Uh, budget is everything and if it's too expensive it may not just happen so the dry fire is free minus what you put into the timer and what you put into the books yeah definitely the best thing for your buck last point i'll leave off with is uh training quality i think and this is just based off some of the quals that we have like tables three through six end up just becoming mag dumps um when you go out there for live fire target feedback is very important and what i mean by that is if you are using that same target for all your drills and your guys are shooting at like five or seven yards it's going to become a mess after a while and they're going to have no idea where the shots are going so feedback's important um the way i structured my rifle training leading up to mcmick east was the first day was from like five to 25 yards and I planned in there, um, if anyone's interested, I can send out my, um, my, uh, my training schedule and the, the round counts. Um, we, we planned in like target changes. Like at this point, we got to paste up targets because we just did transitions and guys are going to be outrunning the guns and they're going to have crazy shots and we want them to see exactly where they're shooting. We're having time to like pace and all that stuff, but target feedback is really important. That's actually one of my, one of my criticisms, um, for uh, Mick McEast, I understand that there's 240 shooters at Mick McEast, um, but at a certain point, my shooters are going up and the targets were all shot up and there was really no way for them to know whether or not they were hitting. Um, but anyway, day two was all steel. Like I 
I put, I put a torso out at like 250. Um, and at the hundred, I wasn't giving them like cheese ball targets. I was putting like really small, like round steel plates. Um, and if I saw a shooter that was just like set up on a barricade, hammering shots at the hundred torso, I'm like, Hey dude, go do something more difficult. Um, go push yourself because the ammo we have is a blessing. And I, I, I can see that you're really good at hammering a, a torso at a hundred yards. I want you to do something that's going to make you frustrated with yourself and make you make you come to terms with the limits of your abilities. Um, and that was on Lejeune, guys. Like, they will work with you and they will allow you to set up steel. You just need to have the conversation with them well in advance. And, um, hey, if you want to shoot it up close and have fun, uh, I'm saying like 25 yards, um, A, 40 is the frangible stuff. If you're lucky, you might even get some of it. I, I have one more point to bring up. Um, you know, something else that you could do is send your Marines out to get training external from the Marine Corps. Um, and, you know, th this is one of the conversations I had with my friend that's in one, two. Um, don't send your team leaders and squad leaders to the training because they're young and we all know turnover rate and, and people getting out of the Marine Corps is pretty high. In my personal opinion, send your platoon sergeants out there for that training. You know, your platoon sergeants are the quote unquote subject matter experts uh, within their craft, but send, send those unit leaders out there because they're the ones who are going to be sticking around long enough to where they can affect that change and they can bring on and teach those skills that they learned. Um, and here's some names and some, some, you know, a couple places that I'll throw out there. You have Joe Farewell. You know, he has a history of going out and training a lot of soft units. He's one of the best competitive shooters and, and tactical shooters in the country. And if you want to, if you want to know about his provenance, he, he used to be a cop down in Florida, you know, and I, I'd venture to say cops see more action and, and, and see more, uh, get in more situations than what we do in the military. Uh, so those guys are always thinking, what can I do better to survive? Um, so he's one, one individual, another guy, Benny Cooley, you know, uh, Chris Hutchison talked about him, Ben Stager, another great individual who, who you can bring in, uh, JJ Ricasa. Um, if you don't want to go after just one individual, okay, you have the Sig Sauer Academy, you know, and the Marine Corps shooting team, we've host brought them down and they've had training. They've trained us on their ranges. You can go up to their facilities. I know they do it up in New Hampshire. And I think they, they've had training out in California before. They have a, a facility um, in Florida. It's, okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's on the Eastern side of the state, close to Orlando. So, I mean, the only way you're going to get better, much like we say, the only way you're going to get shooters by shooting with people who are better than yourself, the only way you're going to grow as a unit, as a team, as a squad, 
as whatever is by going to an external source that has this information and getting training by them. Uh, another aspect, you know, I'll bring up is ask and see if the Marine Corps shooting team can come down. Like that should be number one. That's pretty much free. You don't have to pay a, a boatload of money. You know, it's like, hey, I need two guys down here. We want to go over these skills. And all it is is per diem. Um, and then another aspect is in PMS, they have the advanced marksmanship training uh, package, you know, see if they can come down. You know, I know they're pretty busy, but I mean, shoot, they just de developed a whole training program around exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say the, the MTT is absolutely probably the, the easiest to get a hold of. Um, commands are very, depending on the command, most of them are stingy about uh, sending Marines to training and also haven't had the hands-on experience with someone who's gone to that training before and seen the tangible benefit of them coming back and being that much better of a shooter. Having attended classes from JJ Rikaza, Chris Tilly, Six Hour Academy, um, I can say that it's a lot of value. I intend to take class at least once a year just to keep expanding my horizons. But also those individuals on the AMTP and the shooting team, a lot of them have taken these classes. And while it may be cool to go and get a six hour patch and certificate and stuff, I think it's equally as good to get that information distilled from you from a Marine whose sole purpose is to push the boundaries of marksmanship and to find better ways to convey information to whatever uh, bracket of uh, skilled shooter there is in the Marine Corps that happens to be in front of them. Absolutely. Um, biggest thing is you just need to go out there and train. Um, you know, one of the things that was, uh, that was said to me is, oh, well, you know, whenever you throw the word competitive or this and that shooting team, you know, it kind of like commanders kind of, you know, they, they, they kind of has a bad taste in their mouth or, or whatever reason. Um, well, here's my answer to that. How do you get better if you don't push yourself? All competition is, is pushing your limits and getting yourself better. And when you do compete, you are trying to not be the last place guy. So it's forcing everybody to push themselves more than what they would do if they were just on a line with 25 other dudes trying to shoot a piece of paper. Like you are forcing yourself to go fast. So you are not the last guy and it's forcing your skills to grow at a much faster rate. Yeah. Pressure's not a bad thing. Um, mm -hmm. Matt, you've been here for 20 years and a lot of, a lot of your growth has come from being under pressure. I, I've experienced a lot of growth from being under pressure. That's what competition is. I would say that I can go a step further and say that the Marine Corps is at its best when it's a meritocracy, when people are rewarded for pushing themselves and achieving higher goals. Um, I mean, I don't think any of us joined the Marine Corps because we sensed that it would be an organization that didn't subject us to some kind of pressure, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think it's part of our identity. So, Yes, it means that someone's going to be a loser. That's fine. If you 
if you aren't comfortable enough with yourself and mature enough to handle the fact that every single one of us, that's like everybody that we brought in this podcast was at the bottom of the toilet bowl at some point. Like I, I, if not for a DQ, I would have been dead last in my first three gun match. So it's fought. I, I think, I think the best personalities I've run into are the guys who like show up and like, they're like dead last, but they're like, yeah, this was awesome. I want to keep doing this. I am learning so much from this. You learn to like not take yourself that seriously and appreciate everything that the sport and the competition is about to like teach you and like build you as a person. Um, that's what it's all about, right? Like just being being a lifelong student, continuing to push. No, absolutely. Uh, so let's move into what you did this yeah. past weekend. Speaking of being a lifelong student, so um, I took Ben Stager and Joel Park's skills and drills class, uh, hosted it in North Carolina in New Hill at Woody's Rifle Club. Um, oh, I miss that range. Oh, you've been there? That that Woody's, uh, yeah. Woody's. Uh, by, by Apex? Yeah, that's, uh, that's where Tar Heel 3-Gun was. Oh, wow. That place got a lot of history then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it definitely looks like a place that could hold a good uh, three-gun match. Um, so it was a large class. It was about 30. I think that's the reason he brought Joel Park in. And because of how many students there were, like we were split in two bays and we were just running drills the entire time. Um, honestly, nothing about it was sexy or new or exciting, but the insights that they gave us were incredibly helpful. So for example, one of the things I learned was um, I've been dry firing uh, my CZ shadow, pulling the double action trigger the, the, like for the past few months. And what, what that's been doing to my shooting is when I go to single action, I am juicing the shit out of single action trigger more than it needs to. I'm inducing more hand tension than I need and I am pulling shots low. And thinking back on it, like those are my close no shoots and like some of my mics, low shots, right? So that's one of the things that, um, it, it was a really simple drill, basically like siding on the target. And then once the timer goes off, you smash the trigger, but you have to pay attention to your sight, right? If you're, cause the natural recoil of your sight will take it up and down. But if you see it dipping downwards, that's your hand, that's your firing hand tensing up, using the pistols like a fulcrum and then pushing shots low. That's not supposed to happen. Um, so that, that's something I learned. Um, I think the most interesting thing that was talking, and this is, this is a bit of a controversial topic on the internet, but uh, dot occlusion. And what I mean by that is if you've ever seen someone who's like put tape or something on the, top, on the front of their red dot, um, during training, that's what dot occlusion is. And what that's forcing you to do is it's forcing you to be target focused. And many of you are listening and be like, what do you mean target focus? Like, should you be focused on your site? Yes. And going back to what Matt and I were talking about in the beginning, like that's one of the scars, like it's a training scar that everyone has, right? Because everyone, everyone and their mother was taught, uh, raised to shoot sites focused. But now the prevailing the prevailing sentiment is to be target focused. And here's why. If you put your eyes, like you draw your eyes to a very specific part of the target and pick that part out, 
the sites will, your body will like naturally align the sites, the dot, the irons, whatever, to that particular spot. Um, but it also allows you to be deliberate. Like say, for example, you're shooting a small steel plate, you're shooting a partial target that's very, that's gonna be very punishing otherwise if you hit the no shoot you get to pick out that specific spot of brown or perforation or that pasty that you're going to be keying in on. Um, I put a cover on my dot like two weeks ago. I haven't taken it off. I've just been running with it. Um, because what happens is like your left eye sees the target and your right eye sees the dot and you're, you're basically like putting, putting that like ghost image of the dot on top of the target. But if you focus in on the dot, you're not going to see anything. You're just going to see that that cover, that tape that's a uh, that's over your sights, um, and you're not you're not going to see the target at all. So it punishes you for being sight focused, rather than forces you to become target focused. Uh, another thing that they did to like force us to become target focused was he would just put like a strip of black tape on the target. Otherwise, it's just like brown, right? Um, that that was forcing us to key in on a specific point of the target, um, and. Man, it, it definitely like there were there were some drills where it really came out where like we were, we're moving like we're blending positions and moving and shooting, and I would be like target focused, target focused, and then there'd be a visual barrier, and then I would take the first spot of brown that presented itself on a new target, and I had a really tight cluster in the deep in, in the delta zone, like at the very edge of the target, and he's like, Do you know what happened there? I was like, Yeah, I. Uh, I keyed in on the first round that I saw instead of picking a specific spot in the A zone. And he's like, that, that's why we're doing that, uh, that particular drill. Um, and if you're doing iron sights, like he would come and he would sharpie out like your front sight, your, um, your fiber in order to like dim out your sights, get you to be more target focused. Um, honestly, that was a big takeaway uh, from, from the training. It's something that I intend to keep doing. I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to shoot dot occluded for area five. By the time, by the time this podcast releases, <laughs> um, I will have made that decision. Um, but yeah, any thoughts? I don't know if I would take that chance with not having as many reps uh, behind the gun with an occluded dot. Um I mean, it, it's really going to come down to, are you comfortable doing that right now? Like, is it second nature or is it going to cause you to think too much? Um, here's the thing, man. Like I am shooting. So I, there are, when I talk about target focused, I experienced it sometimes. Like when I started experiencing it, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Cause back when I was shooting production, I remember like stare, I would, I'd be staring at the targets. I'd only be like somewhat cognizant of my iron sights. And I was like, I was just watching shots bloom out on paper. I was like, man, this is a weird phenomenon. And only later did I realize like, oh, that's target focused shooting. Um, well then here, here, this is what I would suggest. Uh, it's a match, you know, it's kind of a practice. It's a big match, but it's, you yeah. know, it's a big, it, it's a, it's a chance to confirm everything you did so if you feel comfortable and confident then put put it to the test see and see how you do yeah it's yeah. only money that, right <laughs> so, yeah it, it, it's not like your life is on the line or anything just go out there and and push it push well, yourself 
we're all going to be disappointed this weekend anyway. Max Michelle shooting out there. Oh, you're screwed. Yeah, we're we're all screwed anyway. Um, but my my issue was so going back. I know I talk about it like every single freaking episode, but uh, um, I've always been a bit of a turtle in terms mm-hmm. of shooting. I was bad in production. When I got injured, that got kind of worse because I. I had to like, the only way I was going to stay anywhere competitive was uh, slowing down and getting, like making sure that I was, I was destroying A's. Um, ben Fowles is on a previous episode. He'd call them my cripple A hits. Um, Cause I'd basically like, like stumble my way around the stage and just shoot the entire time. And they would be all alphas. Um, but the problem was that I, I basically got used to over confirming, like I'm staring at the dot with every single shot and confirming that it's an alpha before I move on. So this i think it's the natural progression uh it's forcing me to be faster um and i ran the entire i ran i trained with the shooting team and i ran the entire stager class over a thousand rounds between two days um dot occluded so yeah i might i might just keep it on uh see how it works out in the actual match setting um yeah, totally. Um, no, I'm glad you went down there. I'm, you know, it's good to hear uh, when somebody goes down somewhere and they learn a lot about themselves, whether they're coming out to Marine Corps Marshmanship competition, whether they're going and getting external training somewhere. It's always really cool just to see uh, the different uh, pieces of information people learn about themselves. So that, that's really cool. Yeah, he's... Um... He's an interesting character, um, Ben Stager. He's so he used to be a cop as well. You, you mentioned that for Joe Farewell. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically like started shooting USPSA and then it became his full-time thing. Um, several time world champion, like several time national champion. Um, really freaking good at shooting, but also like to be honest, um, bit of a dick. <laughs> yeah. He's known for that. He's known for yeah. like speaking his mind and being a little abrasive, which is really interesting because like. Joel, Joel Park's not like that. He's he's very, he's encouraging and like um, like he like will throw you a compliment once in a while. Um, ben will literally sit there like right over your shoulder. He's like fucking go faster. Like that that was my he keyed on me. The first uh, the first drill we did was just he was just trying to see where everyone was at. Ten shots in the A zone as fast as you could, and I was just ripping them. And he's like, hey are you an M class? I'm like, I'm a B class actually. That's a long story. He's like, no, nah, you're, you're a fucking M class. And every time after that, he'd be like, fucking go faster. I know it's within your capabilities. Um, and that was good. Right. Like I'm a turtle. I need to be pushed. I need to be pushed. And I, he would push me to the point where I was dropping Charlie's and Delta's. And then he would ask me what, what went wrong. Um, and it forced me, it forced me to evaluate whether it was hand tension, whether, whether it was, uh, focusing on the dot, whether it was shoulder tension, it forced me to like figure out what the hell was going on. Um, it's a stark contrast from every other class I've taken. Um, I would say the instructors at SIG Academy, they were like that. Um, at one point they, they looked at me and they were like, Hey, make sure you bring your like personality tomorrow. Cause we're doing the instructor class. And uh, my first teach back did not go super well. And I, I brought, I brought, I brought it the next day. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, that's what you're paying these guys for, right? Is their unvarnished, like 
you don't go out and pay these. It was $500, right? You don't you, pay. You have to go in with thick skin. Yes. You got to be able to just stick out for whatever reason and take it. Yeah. You're not going to get any better if you can't. Yeah. He's, he's not going to like bully you and like insult your mother and stuff, but he is going to like tell you, he's going to, he's going to tell you where you're fucked up and tell you you suck. Yeah. So me, I took this class with Ben Faust. Um, He, he actually put down the revolver and brought, he brought his 1911, (laughs) such a a fun, but at the end of the day, both of us were like in the hotel room was like, dude, we are not as good as we thought we were. Um, But that, but, and then Ben was like, but that's fucking awesome. Cause I know what I have to work on now. Um, the things I have to work on are like, they're super aggravating. They're going to piss me off for like the entire next year. Um, they, the, the tension in my firing hands, um, like scrunching up my shoulders and muscling the shit out of the gun, staring at the dot instead of the target, super hard to train those things out because those are training scars. But you know what? Like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, implement them. Um, something else to beat myself up over and dry fire. And uh, for those of you listening, like I've been shooting competitions for three years. So um, I, I'm a decent shooter, but there's always room to improve. Hey, you know, I got to say something uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Ben Steger, didn't he go GM with a Beretta? Yeah, so he shot, he shot, he, he originally shot an M9. Here's the crazy thing about it, okay? And, and I, I'm, I'm bringing this up because, like, you know, throughout my entire career, you hear people talk shit on M9s. And it's like, oh, the gun sucks, it's a piece of shit. Uh, you know, my hand's too small for that grip. Shut up, you're making excuses. Yeah, got, I have to break my grip. I have to... Shift yeah. the M9 in my hands. I have to do the same thing with my 2011. Okay, so I, I shift, break the grip, reload, and get it back in where it needs to go. Yeah. Um, yes. So he absolutely like started off with a Beretta. Um, in this class, <laughs> he was shooting a stock block with an SRO with the dot occluded, and he was shooting factory ammo. And his splits at the 25 were like in the 20s. It was so stupid. Jesus. We're just watching him shoot and we're just like, God, what the fuck? You know, like it, that, that's a, there's always going to be those dudes out there. Like he, he's a, he grinds, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think he's particularly naturally gifted. I think he's just, he's just, he puts a, in the work. He puts in the work. Um, and he's an extremely honest and upfront person. And, some of the best money I've spent $500. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people will look at it and be like, ah, it's, it's, it's class fee. It's a hotel, it's gas. But how many of you, <laughs> I'm not trying to like pick anyone out, but I'm, I, I'm guilty of this myself. How many of you have rifles and pistols inside your safes that just never get shot? Well, you bring up a great point. You know, a lot of times there are people out there that they think that they could substitute skill with buying the new best piece of gear. And I'll be the first one to tell you the only way you're going to get better is through consistency by shooting the same thing over and over again. When you switch a gun, as much as you change your underwear, you've gotten rid of that consistency and you have to learn something all over again. Yeah. And and you're possibly in in your continual quest, you're, 
your I don't know if you play Call of Duty, Matt. Your prestige <laughs> constantly, um, <laughs> um, and your quest to continually like reinvent the wheel and like try something new. You are possibly neglecting some foundational and underlying aspects of your skill set. That I dude, I, I came face to face with those um, during the Stager class. So yeah, really, I, I told him afterwards, like, look, man, this was this was the most helpful class I've ever taken. Um, and he taught 30 of us between two bays. Like I only got Stager for half of it. I got Joel Park for the other. They're both great instructors, but yeah, really, really, really helpful. No, that's awesome. Um, if you want to find out what the resources are, if you have any questions, reach out. If you are that unit leader, if you're that squad leader, if you're somebody, you know, it doesn't matter what unit you're in. Uh, talk to your leaders and say, hey, I want to do this. Uh, you know, pass this podcast on. Get this information out there. That's the only way people are going to get better uh, by hearing this, you know, by hearing what they have, what we have to say, you know, because I guarantee you a lot of people uh, will agree. Um, part of the conversation I, I had with my friend is I was like, you know, you know, what's going to kill us and it, it hurts, it, you know, and I, a lot of people aren't, you know, there, there's not many of the combat veterans left in the Marine Corps. A lot of the combat veterans have either been forced out somewhere between 2011 and 2015, or they're retiring now. Um, so you just don't see them anymore. So that knowledge that used to be there all the time is gone. And uh, the only way you're really going to be able to get that information is by talking to people and they don't know everything, but there's something to say. There's something to learn from the stories that they have. And from a lot of them will tell you, I wish I had known this, or I wish I had known that whenever I was over there at this time. And that's the beautiful thing I learned on being on the Marine Corps shooting team is I wish I had this skill set. I wish I had this information back before I went to combat because I would be that much better because when you arm yourself with information and arm yourself with this type of skill, you are saving your life and you're saving the lives of the people around you. Yeah. Cause there will be a conflict in the future. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll be around for it. Matt, I'm hope, I hope that you're not around. <laughs> but, uh, I got two and a half weeks left uh, until I go on transitional PTAD. Yeah. I think, I think you're in the clear, but you never know. Like, hey, everyone, it's, it's a cycle, right? Like, Marine Corps goes into conflicts, like Matt said, a bunch of combat vets, wealth of information. Those guys get out. Now you have guys who've never like experienced it firsthand. Um, and you don't want that you can learn, we, we can learn from history, um, and we can prepare ourselves and we can prepare ourselves for the next conflict, whatever it may be. But just be ready, like, yeah, get, get, get out there and get at it. What is it? Every 10 to 20 years, we find that the U.S. is involved in some type of conflict, you know. You know, first it started World War One and night in, in, in what was it, 1917, 1916, 
uh, time frame, World War II, the 1940s. There was a bunch of little conflicts in between then. You know, 1950s, you had the Korea War, 1960s into the early 70s, you had Vietnam. 1980, you had a couple things uh, kick off. 1990s, you had Desert Storm, Desert Shield. 2001, 9-11, 2003, Iraq. You know, we were in those conflicts for damn near 20 years. You know, China is probably our next biggest threat. You know, uh, it, something's going to happen, whether it's the next 10 years or not. It's hard to say. But, you know, the world is not a peaceful place. And the only way you're going to keep yourselves alive is by going out there and training. And, you know, one last point I have to say is I find that a lot of the Marine Corps, they focus on the tactics and what it takes to get to the objective and how they're going to patrol and how they're going to, you know, how they're going to do each and every little movement. Hey, we're going to this rally point to this rally point. Hey, we're at the objective rally point. But, you know, you cannot get to your objective unless you can hit your target. You have to be able to engage that target uh, accurately in order to win. That's the only way you're going to be able to get to get on there. It can't and you can't you're not always going to be able to just rely on your heavy machine guns, your heavy mortars uh, or your your 81s and 60s. You're going to have to rely on accurate marksmanship to get yourself there. You know, you have, you know, in a fire team, you have your own uh, support structure, automatic riflemen. You have a grenadier, you have, you know, uh, riflemen, you know. That's that's who you have to rely on. Um, so just stay survivable. Yeah. Um, and prepare yourself to be a good part of the team as well, like capabilities, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, Paul, if you all have any questions about anything that we talked about today, feel free to hit either Matt or myself up. I have some time on my hands before school starts, so perfectly willing to answer any questions. Um, but yeah, I think we talked about a lot of good topics and hopefully it helps uh, help some Marines in the fleet today. Yeah, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if you want more stuff like this and uh, have a great week.